let's let's get into it now ellen like mm -hmm. i told you madam this is a time capsule of you you can say whatever you want your time limit is no excuse me there's no time limit to your life whatever mm -hmm. you want to say is whatever you want to do you know what i mean just imagine your grandkids having your intimate thoughts when you turn 30 which is a significant age in a woman's life when they hit that third layer of life yeah you know? you've seen a lot you've been through a lot so whenever you're ready you let me know okay i'm ready all right i'm gonna hit these record buttons 30. <laughs> all right folks welcome back to this podcast it's called one man one tree in a hill it's a podcast about being alone with your own thoughts and a time capsule of the most wonderful people in the world we have uh, a blast from the past ladies and gentlemen miss ellen ravenel ladies and gentlemen, how are you hello good morning i'm good how, how do you, people mess you? up your last name? How do people pronounce it when down south? Ravenel. Rav. What is it? Ravenel? Is there a Ravenel? I can see it's down south. You, Ravenel? Ravenel, unless you're in South Carolina or North Carolina, where that Ravenel name comes from, that's the only time people get it right. Oh, so that's where your people are from? Mm hmm. Charleston, Ravenel, South Carolina. Oh, up from the deep south. The mm -hmm. deep. Mm -hmm. Jangles, the home probably cousin was one of the first ones off the damn boat i already know do y'all speak geechee out there do you know how to can you can you slang it yep my dad yep <laughs> yep like none of none of us understood our granddaddy we would just be like uh-huh he'd be like yes lord yes lord i love it i love y'all yes lord that's the only thing i understood Go down yonder. I caught that. So I'm just going to go down the street and get your wood, granddaddy. I'll be right back. Never understood. Our uncles, all of our parents had to translate for the third generation. So crazy now knowing where everybody's from geographically. And then the accents come later in life instead of, you know, yes. different places. And now, and then they oh. come out when he gets like, when he's with his brothers and stuff, that accent comes out even more. But when he's with us, he tries to hold it. But I think that goes with like a little military life too. You kind of have yeah. to, you know, put that corporate voice on for a lot of the time. How has 30 changed? Well, what is it? How was your 30th birthday? Because you just had, you just turned 30 for the first time ever. <sighs> you know, how was the party? Walk us through the party. What was it like? Surprise? Or you planned your own birthday party? I, well, we had COVID. So it was very interesting we can, at the time we couldn't have um, parties like at over six, we wanted to book a dinner and just like have all my close friends and family. I was over going out or going to a party or doing anything big. I wanted just to be intimate with my closest friends. Unfortunately, it was a limit of six. So it was like, you choose like elite, the elite friends. Like, you know, like you, can't, like you can't bring your boyfriend, you can bring your boyfriend. Like, so it was kind of, so it just was stretched over the weekend but it was also like the anniversary of me and a baby daddy's breakup because it was on my birthday so it was kind of like a really like look where i am now because I, I had a hard time when we did break up with like a lot of mom guilt like you know breaking up the family mm -hmm. you ideally want your family together you don't have a baby to say hey let's break up in a couple like year or two after this so dealing with the mom guilt, that, that I would say it took me to like the darkest places. But on my birthday, for some reason, it was just like I sat in my apartment. This is my first time living by myself. 
Oh, wow. I mean, obviously, the, 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 my baby, but I've never, I went from Japan. I came here, me and my sisters lived together. I moved out of my sisters, me and Willie. And so this is like the first time that I feel really independent. I was proud of myself. At the same time, I was kind of like, wow, like <clears throat> 30. I didn't think I'd be a baby mama ever at any age. And just, you know, the stigma that comes with being like a single mother. Mm. I kind of all let that go when I hit, I don't know, on my birthday, it was just kind of like, you know what? Who cares? Look what I've done in a year. Like I got my own place. I stayed with my mom for a little bit. I got my own place, though. I take care of her. I want her to have as much time as she can with her dad. But, you know, that's up to him. So the, we had a beach day the next day. <laughs> I went off track a little bit. We had a beach day the next day. And then we just kind of, like, chilled, and it started to rain. So I brought it back to the apartment and just had little, like, close friends, some Henny and... <coughs> some Henny. Some Henny makes stuff. everything better. <laughs> I like so Henny. Brown liquor makes everything better. So, yeah, but it was, a, it was a very bittersweet day for me. Like, I was very proud of myself at the same time. I was very relieved of a lot of things because I was getting sick. I was so stressed for years before that from, from I want to say, 18 to 28, 29. I was just getting sick, and I could never figure out why. They're always like, you're healthy. You're fine. I was hospitalized. I got um, diagnosed with CVS, which is cyclic vomiting syndrome, hmm. where you just, it's like a migraine of your stomach. So you don't know why you get migraines sometimes, but people just get migraines from stress I just happened to get it in my stomach so I would be vomiting for six six days I'd have to be in the hospital be like you're healthy ran all the tests I got shingles I got all it was just it just kept getting like flare-ups and all these kinds of stuff and I was just like what is it that I'm doing because you know I changed my diet I do like there's so many things that I'm doing but I wasn't aware that I just was not in a happy relationship I was settling um, there were a lot of things we didn't agree on, um, especially when I did, I wanted to get back into church and stuff like that. And he was and like, okay, let me know when you want to go. But it was, it was, we never really did anything together. Huh. And, um, I tell people when you grow, it's almost like when you go, I'm 18 to 30, basically. Like I grew, we grew up with each other. So we, we became roommates at a certain point. I can't, I want to say the halfway mark. And it was kind of just like, oh, crap, I'm going to be my parents. Like, like, that was like the revelation I had. Like, wow, I, I preached to myself. And I thought, like, oh, I'm not going to be my parents. Like, I'm going to love because I want to and not just because it's a good fit. It checks the box. You can financially provide. He talks nice and blah, blah, blah. I went for like the complete opposite instead. And so it was just not a good fit. And also culturally growing up in Japan, I had to be, I have to be more American is, is kind of what it is because it's taken as very like submissive here. Mm -hmm. So I kind of felt like I got my power back at 30 and I got my voice back at 30. Like it was just a lot of like, you can do it on your own because I'd never been on my own before. 
-hmm. So it was a big, for me, my, it was more important to me that I, my, this apartment was kind of like me coming into 30, like independence. Yeah. Very liberating, you know, just being able to do this, especially in South Florida, it's expensive down here, but it's, it's hard. And then I'm thinking, I'm like, can I do, can I do this with just my child, me and her, like by myself? But she loves that her attitude has changed towards it. And that's just shown me how much, you know, we affect our children, even at a young age. Right. 30 is also that, like, am I too old? Like, am I getting old now? It's still that weird, like, am I old or not? Like, like you hear women all the time they're like oh there's like have you do you have your eggs freeze like do you have like a second plan you gotta have another child soon i'm like do you have your eggs freeze (laughs) do i have my eggs freeze yeah i'm like i'm no why not not me at 40 my eggs should be good till about 60 i'm like i'm fine but i don't know it's it it's like a a very 30 with this new lease on life we uh independent got our own place for the first time ever in life. Let's go back before we get to this woman that we are now. Let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to where Ellen Ravenel is from. Where mm-hmm. did we enter this world? How do we get to 30? Let's go back to the beginning. Like if someone had this and your grandkids are like wondering like, man, she's all this, but how do we get to the beginning? Where are you from? Where did you enter this world? Japan. Dakota really? Air Base, Japan. You were born there? Into this world, Japan. Really, you're born there. Fusa, yep, born and raised in Fusa, Japan. And I was actually born off base because me and my mom are too far from the base. We were brought on to base day two, I think, and then they checked us out. So technically, it wasn't even American soil because everybody's like, "Ah, you're American." But Japan. And my dad was in active duty by the time I was two. So I never, I, I always say I'm a fake military kid because I didn't get the whole moving experience. I moved up and down the same street. Really? But from kindergarten to, yeah, north side, from one started by the bridge and just ended up closer to the front of the street and just moved back and forth as my sisters moved out. You know, they make you go with how many kids you have and stuff like that. So we just. Well, well let's back that up. What type of family? Big family, small family. What was, how, what was the dynamic of the family? My dad's family is huge. He comes from a family of 10. Jesus. With two sisters, the rest are uncles. And my mom is complete opposite. It's just her and her two brothers. Her father, um, it's a very interesting story, which is, is her and her mom never had, really had a good relationship. It's really small. And uh, her younger brother is deaf. So I never really met him um he moved to northern mainland japan and it's it's somewhat normal for japanese culture like when you get older and start your own life you kind of just a lot of them don't keep in contact really the older generation yeah a lot of them don't keep in contact as like maybe like you know once a year or do a check-in or mm-hmm. something like that but nothing like how me and my sisters are, or I'm sure how you and Emmanuel are. It's, it's, not, it's nothing like that. And my mom never had a close relationship with her mom. So her being the only girl and not having a close relationship with her mom. And it's, 
my dad coming from a big family. Um, he's a Southern man. Like I said, he's from South Carolina. Military. That combination is very, the culture is, is actually very same. It's kind of both like hush hush. So I, that's how I got that. Um, so the Ravenel, the Ravenel family. So what, it's probably tough on your mom meeting a culture shock, meeting Southerners, because we're completely different than mm, anything else. Where do they meet at? How do they meet? So what's interesting is my mom is Okinawan. She is from Okinawa. And compared to Japan, they are considered very Western because the women are not as traditional. They're not as like boys and, you know, their manners and they talk a little bit more roughly and they have more of a of a say, Japan is a very massive country. And um, when she moved over to mainland, she kind of pick, picked up on the submissive part, but her coming from Okinawa, she was very open. My mom, her major is in English lit. So she was always kind of fascinated with that kind of stuff, but Southerners, like you said, are a lot different. So of course, when with her mom, her mom was like, I don't want you to marry a black man. My bachan. Wow. I don't want you to marry a black man. You know, the st- and, and gave all the stereotypes of why she shouldn't be with a black guy. And, you know, my both of my grandparents, the Reverend, Reverend James Ravenel, like, and they both priests. So he was like, you know, whatever makes you happy kind of thing. You know, it's good for you. Anybody who's good to you is good for me. You love it. Yay. But we have some family that never left South Carolina, Charleston, <laughs> Rockville. And it took them a while. And um, two of my uncles, only to my dad and the youngest of them, are the only two that marry outside of their race. Um, my aunt is Puerto Rican, so it was kind of hard for the family to accept them. And once they realized that my mom wasn't, I think it was easier because she wasn't white, to be honest with you, is right. what a lot of my cousins said. Um, they're like, well, she's ethnic, and she's, and she's technically, she's Mongolian because she's Okinawan. So if she was white, they would have had more of a problem with it. But once they met her and they, and they knew her, they accepted her pretty easily, and she's actually made her own relationships with them. So when you... When you um... So when they meet, they meet in Japan or do they meet? Uh... So my mom was actually working at a call center in Okinawa. This is when he was stationed in Okinawa. Oh, okay. And she worked at a call center, one of those places where, you know, you had to call the building to get connected to the person. Mm-hmm. And he saw her walking to, down the street one day and because this was on base. And um, he tried to get her attention. She ignored him. And then they ran into each other again she gave him the wrong number oh yes and then they were at a mutual friend's birthday or something i believe and they got re they got introduced and he was like i guess it's meant to be huh because you know the wrong number obviously he figured it out by then and so she's like you know what let's just give it a shot so okinawa japan is is where they met and had both my sisters there and then they moved to Bayland, Japan. 
and had me eight years later. So you're the baby of three. I'm the baby of two. Of two, excuse me. Well, oh, well, there's three of us. There's so three. Yeah. There's so three, three girls. Right. Dad had three girls? Yes. Wow, that's a, that's a lot on the very different. Dad had three girls. Dad had three girls, and he's the only brother that does not have a son. Oh. Did any of your sisters have any boys? One. The oldest sister had a boy. She named him after her dad? Yeah. She, she, has, <laughs> she had the most daddy issues, so she wasn't going anywhere near that name. No. She left as soon as, soon as she graduated high school, two weeks, two days, two, she didn't even wait two weeks, it was two or three days. So what was, what, was, what was the upbringing like? Because I'm pretty sure the, the parenting is completely different. Okinawan's completely different than a Southern, Southern black dude from yeah. South my, Carolina. Did he try to raise y'all like Southerners or was it like Well, a, so they were really, my dad was always really good about us knowing because we weren't visiting like we used to when my sisters were growing up. They used to go to South Carolina about um, at least twice a year, winter and summer vacations, you know, typical military because we, we, uh, we always got our little vacations um, or went back to the States to see the rest of the family if we were overseas. Um, so I didn't have as much contact with them, but raising, you would think that my, my mom would be more in tune with certain things because of the strain she had on her relationship with her mom. But it's just very typical Japanese. Um, Japan is about perfectionism. Like mm -hmm. you have to be perfect at everything. If you're going to do something, you need to be the best at it. And so my mom very much instilled that in us. And military, both military and Japanese is very about cleanliness and hygiene and just the way you look, outer appearance, right? Because it's first impression or... Um, just, I want to. I want to say my mom is a little bit materialistic, but um, it's very strict. Like if I ever said it, going through anything, my one I was going through puberty. My mom was going through menopause. It's a really good example. Mm. And I think at one point I told her I said, "Well, I feel like I want to blow my head off," and she was like, "Oh, everybody has bad days," <laughs> and just kind of like brush it off. And I was like. Okay, so this is normal. So I started to get that it's okay to be like really sad or depressed or or and stuff like that. And it's just human, just is the way of life. You don't talk about it. And my dad was very much just my dad lectured, right? He was that he preached to me all the time, and you know and that part I didn't mind. We would go through and we would read like certain scriptures together if he felt like I was going through something. And then at some point he stopped, and and I think it was like me getting really into that teenage and him not knowing how to deal with women and things and he just kind of thought providing was you know his job he grew up poor very poor in South Carolina and for him us having things was was good for him so and also my sisters are 12 and 8 years older than me so it's kind of like an only child because they were both out of the house by the time I was in second grade so, and they both came to Florida. So I was kind of like an only child. And my parents are, are getting up there now. They're set, they're set, going to be 70. Wow. So the, yeah. I know, 
sometimes I'm like, wow. Were you a were you a planned baby? I was not a planned, and she says none of us were planned. But she found out that my dad was cheating when my middle sister was thirteen. So I was a baby, and she took me for I think five days to see if she could do it, if she could leave him, because my mom is still not an American citizen. She is a she's a permanent she's the alien card the permanent green card, mm-hmm. and um, she didn't do it. So she said when she was eighteen when I turned eighteen that she was going to leave my dad. Clearly that didn't happen. So a mixture of her um, having her own mental issues and my dad kind of being that that selfish part of him mixed with the cultures of my dad would. If I was feeling a kind of way, it wasn't to go talk to somebody. It was like, read my Bible, I write it down, which is why I write so much now. Mm. And I have a hard time, like, arti- I could literally write exactly how I'm feeling. And then somebody could ask me a question. And I, I sometimes I'm like, I feel articulately like, like I'm like, I can't think of the words. Like it's, it, I blank because I'm not, my body's not used to it. My mind's not used to working that way. We didn't talk about stuff at all really it was more like this is your lecture this is how you should do things this is what you need to be doing and that was kind of it so you raised yourself pretty much you and your friends raised yourself yeah so i was out a lot a lot let's go back even before that let's what's your early remembrance of your family as a whole. What was your earlier memories were like? It's my sisters, my parents. What were those moments like? Do you remember those good times? Was it your older sister? Because that's a completely different dynamic. You're getting uh, a pretty much a, mid, a middle, you know, she's in her early 20s and you're getting a teenager, you're getting everything else. So that advice is completely different compared to your parents' advice. Did they spare you? Did they like keep my it 3,000 with you? <laughs> my oldest sister was more of my mother figure. She kind of took me under her wing because she knew how my mom was. My mom, because my mom, my mom comes from money. This is, that's the interesting thing is she comes from money. During her time, nobody had a driver and a chef and went to private Catholic school. So for her to come from money and then to come to my dad, that was another thing. My grandma felt like she was downgrading. And um, so Elisha, when I was born, Elisha was actually really happy because she, it was kind of like her escape from that tension between my mom and my dad. So I was always out with her and it's, it's very, the cultures are so mixed. And I always say there's sometimes when there's too many cultures and nobody's trying to understand another's culture. It, the clash is so it's it's ridiculous because if you go to Miami and there's a full tr- you know and they're all Trump yeah. supporters it's a Latino community of all those Trump Cubans supporters. out there those Cubans are like that yeah and then they're just like we're not all just Cuban down here and da 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 and you know we did it the right way and it's very much like the black on black crime here now has like gone up more because it's like you're black and you support Trump and. Ah, I mean, the people are divided, just like I when New Yorkers up here told me that like being Haitian was like a crime. I was like, not down in Florida. I was like, if you said no. you were Haitian, you were protected for years. You are fine. 
I had it on your chest. My, You're right. Zone. I lied and told my boss. I thought lied and when I was working in Orlando and told these guys I was Haitian. And next you know it, they brought me food for the next seven months. They would bring me food for breakfast, everything else. I'm like, where in Haiti are you from? I, was like, I don't know. I don't know my dad, man. So I think he's he's from I think like that. <laughs> <laughs> so I pretended I was Haitian for a while. Because they're, they're like, oh look, family. Because they're all family. They all treat no each problem. other so good. No yeah. When they come out there. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. All right, back to your life, madam. So your sister pretty much was happy when you got there because your sister, you were the break between your parents. My little sister. Argument. So mom was rich, dad comes from, you know, rural South Carolina. What does your middle sister do? What is she like? What's your relationship like in the middle beginning? Middle sister in the beginning was bitter about it. So she was her, a baby. Because she was the baby. And she was like, you guys are 40. And she, you know, she, she's like 10, 11, 12, like you guys are 40 in your 40s are we have like, why do I have a two-year-old sister? So when Alicia left, um, I really took that now I know that as a, as an abandonment thing, like I, it was a joke for a really long time in family. Like, oh yeah. And she's like, I found myself like getting these like bursts of just like anger and didn't know what it was in my mind. I thought it was anger, but it was just. Now I know depression or I was having panic attacks and, and, and stuff like that at, at the age of 10, moved yeah. up. So about 10. And I started consistently cutting myself, only my wrist, middle school. So I know like sixth grade was like that time that I really, um, that it really started affecting my family dynamic. It was tried to keep because I was the baby of the family my parents relationship and my dad being how he is so when I figured out that he was he wasn't faithful to my mom everything that he preached to me and from the bible I was like mm. I can't take anything from the gospel from you like well, like you don't live by it and I remember I writing him a letter it was like a six-page letter, and I left it at his um, computer desk. And the next day, I saw he didn't read it. Because me, this is already, I've already developed this, we're not talking. Like, we don't talk. Me, my, even me and my sisters, it was just always like, don't let nobody mess with you. Don't let nobody bully you. That's the kind of advice I got from my sisters, you know, speak up. And I wrote my dad this letter, and it was the first time that I really expressed, like, I see how you and mom are, the relationship. I know that you have other relationships with women. Um, his mom died when he was 10. Mm. And so she was 38. She had 12 kids by 38 to the twins passed. So he didn't really have too much guidance. It was obviously the kids were split between grandma and his dad and but you know, when you're very devoted to the church, like granddaddy was always in the church and he was always helping everybody out and everybody was always coming to him. And so he was, he was there for them in a sense, but he couldn't really be. I mean, how could you be there for 10 kids and provide in the South back then? My dad went to segregated schools. Like, so my dad got the, that same mentality where he didn't really have anybody to, to talk to or to confide in so since both of my parents were like that I I remember I think it was three or four days before 
I just kept moving the letter around in front of him. He wouldn't open it. He wouldn't open it. So one day I noticed that it was gone and he must have read it. We never spoke about the letter. Mm. And, that, and I poured everything into it. I hate myself. You know, this is why I cut myself because, you know, I get angry and I feel like there's, if I can replace it with a physical pain, mentally it takes that, that, that feeling away, that gut-wrenching feeling away. So it was just, it's like a Band-Aid. And my mom found out I was cutting and it was never talked about in the family. So I would wake up sometimes in the middle of the night. My mom would be like rubbing cream on my wrist because hmm. I had like a fresh cut. She'd be crying or something like that. It would take the razors out or something, but nobody ever talked about it. So I, I look back now and I think, did I continue cutting myself because I wanted them to, you know, to talk to me or just, hey, like, why, why do you do this? Like, it's a simple like what's going on what made you start doing this and when I was in about eighth grade yeah eighth grade they sent me to live with my sisters here for about a year and then this is the middle of that time where I'm trying to express to you guys how I feel and trying to figure out how I feel and I'm cutting a lot and I remember like I would write on random stuff like Lord save me. I even found a hanger the other day my mom brought because they got other stuff shipped from Japan and on a, on a, like a thin piece of, um, on the side of a ruler and I was like, God, please save me. And like, I just have it written in like random places. And I can tell I'm young because a lot of it is in child writing, but I just developed this like, okay, like my notebook is my safe haven. Like, this is where it goes. Nobody kind of really cares about your problems unless it affects them. That, that, that's the, the feeling of the, or the, the, the kind of the vision that I had of, of the real world, right? Like to me, I was like, okay, this is just my parents setting me up for how, how the world is going to treat you. Like you're, you do with your own problems. Everybody has problems. Some are bigger than others, but that's none of your business. And then your business is none of their business. So, um, I don't think we talked about anything until I got older and became aware of certain problems that I was having and certain things that I was keeping in. And recently, actually, 30, I, um, me and my dad went back and we talked about, we started talking about me cutting myself. And, um, yes, why? And I was like, it took you, it took you 30 or mm. not 30, but 25 years to ask me that. And he was like, I know. And he was like, um, I see a lot of families now and even stuff like, you know, like, I love you. He was like, you, you got us to start saying I love you to each other. He was like, but it's very uncomfortable for me to even like hug my parents. We don't hug. We don't like it's, it has to be like, I won't be seeing you for a long period of time or somebody who's very sick. And so we, we didn't have like an affectionate type of, of family. And you would think as like three girls that we're really close. But when I think about it as an adult now, we're very surface. None of us talk about our feelings or what we're really going through or nothing. 
So it's it's three a- decades of people, though, if you think about it, you know what I mean? They, your parents mm-hmm. grew up in an era where, you know, you didn't really talk about anything. You kept everything internalized. Your sister kind of was like that as well. But you're the first millennial. You're the first yes. one that knows how to identify emotions and mm-hmm. express them. And I think it was a study that said millennials were the first kids that ever like wanted explanation from them. Yes. And, and they didn't understand the why we wanted explanations. Exactly. Cause you're not, you're not supposed to, cause how you're, I, I remember I would say stuff to my mom and she would say, don't talk back to me. I would never speak to my mother that way. And I, and it would, it wouldn't be anything disrespectful. It would just be like, but I don't understand why I'm getting reprimanded for this or this, or why is this a problem if I do this? And, she just be like, you don't question it. It's because because I said so, and 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 a story. So it's like, we stuck between that, and then because my sister's that age gap, two of twelve and eight years, they're in that kind of in that same mentality. And Yvonne, I think my sisters each had our their own individual mental things that they were never able to come to terms with so it it's not even like I could go to them about it either it's like you said that those layers yeah well, yeah where, how did you know how to cut yourself like where does that happen where do you know does someone influence you or how do you know that cutting is something because it seems like cutting is like a culture but where it, it was introduced it, to you a lot of people did it but I didn't understand where it came from you know I to be perfectly honest with you I don't know I'd never watched anything and because it wasn't anything that was like televised. You know, when we were younger, we didn't have like, we had like Jerry Springer and Maury was like, ah, like that was like the bad TV kind of, so to speak, that I got to be exposed to. But honestly, it was just more about like, it was a, a, I remember the first time, it was a very just like irrational thought. Like I didn't, there was no thinking. It was kind of like, you know, some people, if they're angry, they ball their fists up, right? So you just like ball your fists up or five. I, it just led to that. I think I was just in the bathroom crying one day and the razor and plus it wasn't a, it wasn't a thought, but I just remember the, the release that I got from it. I don't remember what influenced me to do it or if I like premeditated it. Did it feel justified when you say the release? Like do you remember like were you satisfied as soon as yeah. you did, you're like, oh this feels I always say how heroin addicts speak about that first hit is how I felt when I was cutting. Jesus. So if I was in extreme emotional state and I did it, it was almost like a, like a, like a, like I was cutting out the emotions almost. And as you're going through this, right, who were the friends that you had? Like, were you, did, was this, like, you, were you the type of person that you didn't express it to your friends? Because I felt like a lot, nobody knew. Nobody knew. So. No one um, ever saw your wrist at all, playing basketball. No one saw anything. No one saw No, anything. I'm pretty sure. And I'm, you know what, you, you talk to you could contact any of these people too like i'm pretty sure like you know like shanoa cassandra kiki all them like they would have never noticed i think you, but in high school even like with me and you being in the same slope I, I was cutting them too so it's just like i got to a point where already that i 
talking and expressing myself isn't a good thing. And because I always felt judged or like a burden, if I shared my problems with somebody, that would be, be putting my burden onto somebody else. And I, I felt like I, I, I got that trait at a very young age. So mm. because I'm in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, I don't know what this kid's going through either or my friend's going through or what if they think I'm crazy or, you know, at that time, what if they're not my friend anymore? Like, what if they tell somebody then you're going to be the laughing stock at school then going to be spread around you're going to be the crazy girl or whatever it is it's I, I made every excuse not to tell somebody what I wanted to tell somebody and um yeah not one person knew I always kept a bracelet and in Japan we have four seasons luckily so half of the year I got to wear long sleeves and and jackets and, a, and watches and stuff like that and Is that in Florida mm, yes much better and I never, I never, ever, ever, ever spoke about it. Nobody ever knew. And a lot of people, now that we're adults, and I, and I say it, and they're like, we would have like, never known. Or some people, because I still have scars, and people will kind of be like, is that from something else? People be you like, still have scars to this day? You still have scars to this day on your arms? Mm-hmm. And I, some of them have gone away. Um, I don't know if I can flip. Let's see. Uh, oh yeah yeah mm-hmm. they're still pretty but they it's gotten oh. a lot better yeah it's gotten a lot better but it's the thing about it's, black people our skin always heals faster and but people are always like you would have never guessed that you would have done that and, and it's so funny because that's that whole like stigma of like i look like i i can't be sad or i can't be depressed or because i'm pretty i can't be you know um, there's nothing I can be upset about. And I mean, I think that it was like a culture. I mean, you say a lot of people didn't know, but I remember everybody was cutting themselves. I remember mm-hmm. like kids were walking to school. I remember seeing, I remember dealing with people cutting themselves. And I was like, where the freak did it come from? I remember just wondering like, why? I remember I- one girl doing it. Terry, I, I, I think it was her name. Nobody's gonna know what I'm talking about. And um, I, I think a lot of people, just like people who, um, some people like to, ex- are very, and I think that's where that you get that stereotype of an introvert person who gets sad or depressed or something like that, and or cuts, self-mutilates, whatever it is, that they, how they deal. I, I didn't want people to know because I'm, I'm more shame. Like it comes with shame and that comes from like Japanese culture, like guilt. Yes. And a lot of people, it's a, it's a cry for help. And I didn't think about it that way. Like for me, it was just like, this is how I release because I don't talk. I do this. I get over with it. It fixes my situation. I didn't want to bring attention to it. Because yeah, you didn't want to bring attention to it, but the thing you were doing was causing attention. Mm-hmm. But I strategically would do it in certain spots. In the summertime, I would cut less, mm-hmm. or I would cut on the this side here, so it would, it would look more like it, I could have just I could have fallen or scraped it on something. So I was I got very methodical with it, and and just knew how to conceal it. And if somebody did ask, 
think one time somebody was like, do you have a cat or something? <laughs> <laughs> and I think it was at like a birthday party. And I was just like, no, or like brushing it off. And my mom kind of giving me like, just like a look, but with the, she was very like disgusted about it. It, was, it wasn't like a, no sympathy, no empathy. It wasn't an empathetic look. It was more just like very shamed. And we didn't talk about that. We got in the car and left. And so it's just that repeat of those small little situations having huge impacts, not being talked about, no, no issues being addressed in the family. So you were really more affected by the family dynamic of your parents not speaking to you, wanting to express yourself, mm -hmm. and really not having anyone to be in such mm -hmm. a big family. You didn't have really... Walk us through when you leave to go to Florida. What happens like that when you finally start living with your sisters? Because they're like in college, right? Or they're like early 20s? They are. Elisha by this time has already had my nephew. Yvonne was in college. Um, my parents bought a house here, actually. And I actually didn't want to leave Japan when I graduated right away. I wanted to stay and really be able to expand more. And my... Well, back that up. You said you had to go. You got sent there to live in eighth grade, right? In eighth grade, yeah, because my parents, are, they thought that it would be good for me to get out because this is when I was cutting and they knew about it, but we didn't talk about it. So my dad was like, I'm going to send you to live with your sisters. And it didn't get any better. And they did the same thing. They just hid the razors, didn't talk about it. And they both had, um, my oldest sister had her baby's father living with her there at the time my sister's boyfriend was also kind of living there at the time um my sister was having a hard time with drugs and and so again i i kind of like withdrew to the back burner because i'm like all right clearly they're going through things and could you I sense that could you sense that at that age you're like my sister's something's not right with her mm -hmm. And I also knew that I couldn't ask them about it either. Did you write a letter to her or no? Because I wrote to her a lot by that time. But specifically then, no, I didn't. I was very upset at a lot of people. So what leads up, well, I guess I should go back a little bit. So going back to my dad getting out of active duty, retiring from active duty and, and becoming civilian, there was a time that we had to go stay with my uncle in Virginia. Mm -hmm. And this is about 10 months. And um, my third cousin raped me, but I had a little boyfriend. Jesus you know, you have a little boyfriend. Um, and it, it, it was, um, it, now that I look back at it, it, it was very planned out because uh, the little boy who was my age, who was my boyfriend, we um, played and whatever. And then after like a couple of weeks, he's like, he would like, we, we kept venturing further away from the apartment building, right? And then um, finally one day he was like, oh, well, yeah, like, oh, it's so cool. We've got all this cool stuff. And then it just became like a routine. And I didn't tell my. I, I don't know why I didn't tell anybody. Like, I, it just was like... Um, well, hold on. What what age is this happening? Is this your teen? This is pre-teen? No, this is pre-teen. And this is why I started kind of 
Okay, so you you were introduced to trauma completely early and no one knew mm -hmm. about this. Nope. And my dad wasn't around because he's dealing with military stuff. So you're in Virginia, you're 10. Mm -hmm. This is not your boyfriend, he's your cousin or he's your cousin and your boyfriend? He's my third cousin. Okay, so all right. Yeah. So, and he had a little brother who acted like my boyfriend to kind of oh. lure me to mm -hmm. him. Do you think they knew um, what was going on, or the younger brother was clueless? I don't think that. I don't think they, that the younger brother knew. So you're ten. You experienced this trauma. What, so do you understand like something's wrong? You understand like this is not supposed to. Like your conscience tells you like I'm not supposed to be. Like this shouldn't be happening. happening. Yeah. Like I was like, something's off. But it was oh, it, you get that. You know, you can't tell anybody. Like this is just between me and you. Mm. Um, nobody's really going to believe you and Gaslighting. if you're telling that if you're telling that to somebody too that already kind of gets has already is starting to build that shell of like keeping everything in and, and block just blocking if you emotionally you're numb so there's there was just there's no feeling at all and then it just i've had multiple experience like that with men after that and i think it was in my head just this is just how it's supposed to be because mm. clearly it's not just you know this guy it's whatever or it's something about me that i'm doing putting out there i remember one time my oldest sister specifically was like i, I walked in the house and i might have been walking funny and she was like what's wrong with you and um i just got shots i think the day before and I got some of my leg and I was like, I don't know. I think it's from the shots or something. I'm sore. She was like, oh, okay. And like, we didn't question it. Kept it pushing. And that was the only time that I think that she really noticed something funny about me. Mm. And I think that was her way of, of saying like, are you okay? Or something going on? Like, what's wrong with you? But it's, we don't, none of us really know how to, to ask essentially like, are you okay? It seems so easy to me now. And it's wild because there's three girls. We should all be able to relate to each other in some way. Um, I started to build this resentment against, especially my sisters and my mom with, like as women, like why can't you show me how to be a strong woman or mm. um, how to speak up or how to emotionally deal with the way a man can make you feel or how they can take advantage of you like why would you not want to tell your little sister stuff like this and and as far as my dad and the whole family i just kind of resented them because i'm like it, it was always like you're the baby you're the baby and i'm like if i'm the baby why did you guys let this happen so many times oh. but it's like i i never express it to them <clears throat> at the same time i'm like you guys kind of set me up this way. It, it was, it's, I felt like it was set up like, oh, okay, this last little one here, like she's gonna, she's gonna make mistakes, whether we ground her, whoop her, do whatever. Eh, so just kind of let her figure it out on her own. And as, as far as my sisters, the, t the gaps of, by the time that I got to the age of 18 to 21, they're fully, they both have kids and they have life. So they have their own things they have to worry about. So there was a, a period of maybe two years. This is after I moved here, after high school and all that. 
um, that I just didn't speak to them. My dad, after I graduated in September, so we graduate June, September, he, he walked in my room, he said, here's your ticket, you're going to Florida. And I was like, oh, and he was like, yeah. And he was like, you gotta, you gotta do something. And at the time I was, I was starting to get into hair and he was like, so I'm gonna put you in like hair school. He's like, I really want you to go to Atlanta so you can go to Atlanta and live with your uncle Ed or, but I got you a ticket for Florida and you're leaving September 20th. Like, oh, okay. So it wasn't a discussion. It wasn't like, are you gonna be okay? What did you want? Yeah. What was your what was your goals? Or like when you graduated high school, were you nervous? Were you just like, maybe I want to go to school. Maybe I didn't know. Or maybe you didn't know. I didn't know. And I wanted to stay in Japan. And I wanted to learn hair and nails there. And I wanted to bring that to the States. Because the mm -hmm. style and, you know, Japan is very forward. And with trends and stuff like that. So I, my, I had this whole idea of like bringing beauty care and over to the States. And that was kind of going to be my brand. And so he, I came here and he, I went to Aveda and they're very big. It's a very big, like, um, culture there at Aveda and turned me away from wanting to do hair. Um, what I didn't like that the, the I didn't like the business or what did you like not like about? I didn't like the the, the the connections weren't genuine that I was making with people. And and most of the time when you're a hairstylist, you're almost like a therapist. So you get and I'm somebody who I'm a feeler. I, I like to when I connect with somebody, I genuinely listen and I try to put myself in their position so all the time if you're hearing oh, I found him cheating on me I want to cut my hair off and oh, yeah. he's you know like you, you you get that or I'm getting divorced after 32 years I want to dye my hair blonde he never let me do that or I'm getting abused or um, people talking about their kids beating them like you you hear the worst stories and people don't realize a lot of times like you're just a hairstylist but I'm like no a lot of these people use it for therapy because they're like who does this chick know that I know, you know? And that became like very heavy. So on top of that, my coworkers, it's, it's a very doggy dog world, which um, is almost everywhere, but it's very like, it's, it's nasty. It's just a lot of like trash talking back and forth, stealing clients and everybody kind of stepping on each other's necks and just, not really looking out for each other it just the culture of it in the salon was it for me and not saying all salons are like that but just that, that was what my experience was and i didn't i couldn't handle that much negativity it was too much so i started freelancing instead i took myself out of the salon life and um but then i started getting sick so i started i had to go into corporate mm -hmm. And that's the reason why I got into the corporate world. It was really for benefits because if you're a freelancer, I guess, you know, right. yeah, you're not getting that. And that's back when we were getting penalized. Also, we didn't have medical insurance. So I was getting sick and my battery, what happened? I was getting sick and 
I didn't know what was going on with me. And I was getting sick so much to the point where my, my family started to blame me for getting sick. And they would stop visiting me in the hospital or, or something like, what? like that. Like, what do you mean blame? Just like, girl, you get They're sick like, all the time? Or... Yeah, like, well, you know, how, you know how you are if you do this. Or you know if you eat something like this or did you change your diet or did you like you want to get sick and if you or if you keep getting sick i'm not going to continue to to like come and visit or whatever it is like oh geez two questions because your family because you go my mom says school the hard knocks your family's very tough on the exterior right very tough on the exterior yeah do you think when you met your baby father he was so the opposite of them is that the reason why mm-hmm. The beginning was just like, wow, he's the first person that's like actually nice to me, that cares about my emotions and cares about my feelings. Yes. And he was also. Well, but walk us through the first time you meeting him. Where did y'all meet at? What was it? Was it on Tinder? Was it in real life? <laughs> it was in real life. In? So eighth, when I came here in eighth grade, I, I made friends that I ended up staying in contact with until after high school. And me and this one girl in particular, we to this day we're so close but we were at a house party mm-hmm. and he was i had never seen a white guy with dreads in, in person <laughs> before, stuff. you know yeah it's the florida stuff you know and I, I was just like wow that's an interesting looking guy i was never um i never well, i had never been with a white guy but either so it was kind of like even more it sounds so bad but like that was intriguing to me. I was like, because I, I like people that kind of stand out or look different or don't, you know, look like they in a box. And he was very quiet. And I like that because he did. I don't like people to, that want to be center of attention all the time. Right. At the time. I don't like to be center of attention now, but I don't. I don't have the social anxiety that I did then. Um, so I, I met him there and it was just kind of like a casual meeting. And then over time, like just hanging out in group settings and stuff like that. And there was this one time I was sitting in the car waiting for my friend and she was at her boyfriend's house picking up something and he was there and he had to move the car because her mom was leaving. So he had to move it out the driveway. He, I guess he volunteered, oh, I'll move your car. He's in the car, I'm in the car. And he's like, oh, what happened to you last night? You know, we're, we're, I think we're going to, everybody was supposed to go out. And I was like, oh, I was tired. And I was like, you, you could have called. And he's like, I only went because I thought you were going. And I said, oh, you should have called. I said, oh, you should have called me. And he said, I don't have your number. I said, oh, here, take my number down. It was just, and then it was, and then we started to hang out like alone. And my, so the house that my parents bought down here is a three bedroom. My, both of my sisters have one kid at this time and they both pretty much have their baby daddies living there. So I would either be sleeping on the couch or I had a share room with my sister and her baby daddy or my niece. And I think that's why I, moved in with Willie so quick because it was almost like it, it was easier to escape his privacy like I got to do my own thing and somebody paid what, attention what, to what me right of, but what, what was like walk us through like him courting you what was that like How, what is like quick moving in quick and, like mo- moving in quick but it, I didn't have I didn't know what 
a man should be doing to so for for me it was the little stuff it was just the fact that times quality time being spent mm-hmm. together me and him would just drive go pick up food and we would just talk and we would just go to the beach or it, he hated the beach but he would go because i wanted to go so for me that was like oh, somebody's gonna do something that they don't like doing because i like doing it like that's amazing and it would literally just be it could be the smallest the smallest thing and it wasn't so when i look back at it he didn't really court me it was just we started spending time alone and then he just went to his house and he was a very he's a very um he's an introvert too so he doesn't really talk about his feelings and his mother is um a dopehead and his dad is hardcore new york italian hard worker and he always gave me that like just because they're your family you don't have to keep them around like so he's he's the one that started to or you need to express yourself to them and or who cares what they think like why do you care so much about like if your sister doesn't approve of what you're doing or that you're a grown woman and that kind of caused a divide and I, that's when I stopped talking to my family for two years. And during this courting process, he was actually going through court and- You said a divorce? Court, like oh, he court. was going oh. through court. So he was going to court. And after about a year together, he got on probation and then he had hurt his back prior to meeting me. This is significant. So he caught an AC unit. His dad does AC. He caught an AC unit that fell out near oh his back. Mm-hmm. And he hurt his back, never really took care of it. And as the years progressed and we got older, that pain affects your mood and um, things that you want to do. And also during this time, he was back and forth in jail because he was violating probation. He would not touch a pill, but he'd rather smoke weed because his mom was an addict. So for him, I I understood it, but I would always be like, it's not worth it going to jail. Or I'm not going to be the girlfriend that's going to keep like coming to give commissary money. And like, I don't, this is not the life that I want. And I've seen my sisters go through this. Like, I don't like, you no. Know, so his last time he went to um, jail, he did like a four month stint. Me and him already have a house by then. And um, then he did a year of house arrest. And that year of house arrest really, um, I think, brought him to this dark place that he's not aware of. And um, I sat in that misery with him. But I also noticed during all that time and all the things that he went through with his back surgeries and going to jail and stuff like that, none of his family visited. And mind you, his older brother this whole time was in prison and everybody's sending him money and his grandparents spent their retirement money on his brother's lawyer and all this stuff. So for I started to take, take on the role of his mom, his dad, his grandma and, and kind of like taking care of him. And were you giving him the love that you didn't receive? Yes. Mm-hmm. So I was doing all the things. And because I noticed that his family wasn't showing up, it was like that That was always like pulling on my heartstrings. That's what really hit me most. 
now that I can look back and reflect it, it's like, he doesn't have anybody. And I know what it's like to not have your family be there. So I want to, I want him to know that I'm, you know, regardless of you're crippled or whatever it is, I, I got you. And his dad would be like, oh, here's some money every once in a while because really he couldn't work. And I think that I just replaced taking care of him and kind of push my feelings to the side and just let everything kind of build up slowly. And you get into this comfort zone of just like, this is how he is and this is how she is. Mm-hmm. And I'm just a caretaker and he's, although he was physically getting better mentally, he was almost digressing, I want to say, because our our conversations and the stuff that we had, the level, the depth that it went to was the same as when it when we first started dating. So it never developed yeah, never developed into anything more and, and you know, people grow together, they grow apart. And those last couple of years we just kept growing up apart. But I knew he didn't have anybody to take care of him. So it was still that I still have to you know, be here for him because he doesn't have anybody. And when I when I started to realize mentally that I had things that were affecting my body, my and my career and goals and everything that I wanted to do, I tried to express that to him and he was kind of like, Okay, well you're the sad one, go figure it out. Like mm. And uh, I was like, okay, well, I need to like, get, I need to start going back to church, or I want to start watching sermons again. And because this is like right around when it started to be like a bit more of like a thing online where you could like YouTube a sermon and stuff like that. And I'm like, we don't even have to go anywhere. Let's do an attend therapy. And therapy was always a no in my family anyway, because it's just both cultures. It, it, yeah, yeah, we don't, you don't, know, yeah, you don't believe it. So he was like, oh, I'm yeah no but if you're the sad one then you should you should go deal with it you have to do the work and i was just like but i'm your partner so i want to go do this with you together and some of the issues that i have are about our relationship or how i want it to develop and um it made him very angry and i think it was because i was touching too many of his nerves that he didn't want to come to terms with and he would, he would say certain things like, oh, my mom's already dead to me. Mind you, we still see her and visit her, but it's not her anymore. Um, and so I almost, I can't blame somebody who's not even aware of mental issues or anything to be able to talk to me about it if you don't, you're not even aware that there's, that, that it exists because he almost he has the same mentality as my mom where it's like everybody has problems and that's when i when i started to notice stuff like that i'm like wow like i'm gonna be my mom and my dad like i'm just settling and i think i had to have a mirror to meet him because i can take a hit i can take i'm i'm my I was used to feeling the way that I felt, that I was just like, 
some people deserve to be happy and some people cannot. Or maybe all these people aren't really happy and they're just putting on a front because, you know, that they don't, like me, they just don't want to share. And not that I wasn't a happy person, because I'm, no matter how I feel about myself and no matter what I'm going through, I can always, like, be somebody's cheerleader and genuinely mean it. Well, walk us through that. Walk us through that. What does that mean when you say you could be someone's cheerleader? What's it like making people laugh or feel good when you don't feel good on the inside? It's you don't feel like that's a a generic trait to do that to push your feelings to the side. Yes. For a two hour moment, you're making someone else feel good, and then you go back and mm-hmm. you go back to your shell. How long have you been doing that? Oh, all my life until the last year. But why? But why? When did you? You just accept it. You're just like, I know I can make other people feel happy. Did you do that because you wanted them to get the, like, this is what I'm trying to say. Did you do that to mask the fact that you were going through things? Yes and no. It was almost like a healing thing for me. Okay. Um, But also, like, I think it has something to do with people always telling me, and my parents, like, people naturally gravitate towards you. They want to talk to you they want to confide in you they have the strangers will tell me something i'm like this is something you tell like your best friend or that might be something you want to say out loud and i'll just meet them five minutes ago and and i think that because of that happening so eventually that led to me sharing with people so i kind of think for a reason like I it, it, it was easier for me to deal with somebody else's problems mask my own of course like make them feel better but if I was even if it came to something physical like I'm not I would never look at a woman and be like oh, like that it just you know some people are, are haters if they have something that they if they don't have something they want right. it makes them angry and for me I'd be it'd be the opposite and I'd be more like oh I wish I could do that kind of thing not believing in myself and having that insecurity but it was connecting with people and hearing their stories that kind of helped me say like okay you need to start sharing your story look how much better this person feels after they talk to you or the impact you have on this person like it is very generic too but also it helped with keeping all my shit in, Mm. like you said. So I could still, in my mind, justify it because I'm connecting with these people. I'm having these types of conversations, right? But I'm not really sharing my story or I'm not really divulging too much detail about what I really went through or what I've gone through. Do you think you're cheating your friends out of the Ellen experience? Mm -hmm. And I've recently, yes. And actually recently, uh, is what that's what I'm experiencing. So when I um, broke up with my baby's father, um, it was the first time that I couldn't keep it together, right? Like I couldn't mask it in front of people, and my stress was showing. Um, so because for me, and it still wasn't about me; it was about my daughter. So it wasn't, I was still kind of on the back burner. It was just like, ah, oh, now I'm you know, moving her life and she has one home and now she's going to my mom's and I'm being in an apartment. So much change for her and da-da-da. And 
my friends, I would, if I would be upset or if I would just be like, not today, or, you know, I really can't talk today because I had to start saying no, because like you put your problems out there and since they weren't used to me expressing myself or being in that kind of state of mind, they didn't know how to accept it. Mm-hmm. So some of them got like, like took it personal or they were offended or um, obviously it was sometimes I would be more aggressive. Like I'm very usually like even keel when it comes to my friends, and, but I've always been the listener and I wanted to talk. Like I wanted to talk about what I was going through. I wanted to talk about what I was feeling because I, I know how dark my my where I can go. I know how low I can get. And I'm like so focused, which then is not also healthy on healing that it was like, I need to talk about it, I need to talk about it, I need to talk about it. And then if they didn't listen to me or if they, they didn't have the time or whatever, I would, I took it personal. Like, mm. wow. So I've been the listener for you for this many years or for 10 years. And the one time that I decided that I want to share, it's a problem. So it was like, I didn't know but I also didn't know how to communicate it besides out of anger, if that makes sense. So it, my umbrella emotion, anger, and then they'll slowly like come down to like calm, but it always starts in anger because that's the only kind of emotion that I've outwardly expressed. Do you think it was weird for them because you guys been together 10 years and they were used to him. So they probably felt weird or just like listening to, the first time you vent about someone that's been in their life for a decade as well. Mm-hmm. And my niece and my nephew, especially, because they, they basically grew up with him and that is their uncle Will. And my friends that have been around him, because the thing is, as time progressed for the last four or five years, we didn't really do anything else together except for at home. And I've been to six weddings. I think he was a date to one. And um, so a lot of people didn't even get to experience me and Willie's dynamic, but the ones that did, were not, they weren't surprised. Wow. They weren't surprised. Um, Does that hurt a little bit though, that they weren't surprised? That means they probably weren't rooting for you guys in the beginning. Well, and they were, some were happy for me. And it does make me sad because it's almost like they were cheering for your you downfall, really, right? Yeah. It, and or just pull me aside and, and ask me, like, are you genuinely happy? Not you, you can't tell somebody to break up with somebody, but just you can ask your friends questions. You can say, like, are you okay? What's going on? Like you seem un are you and Willie okay? Because it gradually, slowly just started to go down and we just became roommates, but it's also like the degrading stuff that came along with it. So I started to take on, for him, I, I started to take on that mom role. So he started to talk to me like I was his mom and he was 16 and she was on drugs in front of his friends again. And it just became the honeymoon stage after Amira that, that brought me back to I, we, this, is, this has to end. Even if we didn't have 
this trial, this has to end. But for me, I think I needed to have a mirror because it's how am I going to show her how to be? I'm going to repeat the same thing. I had to break this generational curse of this is how men are and it's their way. And if they're happy, they're fine. And okay, I look back at pictures when she's one years old. I look like a single mom the first two years of her life. He's, he's not in a lot of pictures at all. And he doesn't participate in certain things. And we just have very, our, our strong beliefs are very different. And well, walk us through the day you find out that you got a mirror. What's that like? You take the pregnancy test and you say, you know, babe, I'm not feeling well. I'm throwing up. This ain't my stomach this time. This is for real. Like, walk us through that emotion. I was extremely happy because I have PCOS. And they told me I probably would not be able to have babies. Oh. So we were having a protective sex for maybe eight years. No, oops, no, oops, no, nothing, no accident, no, never. And I, I'd taken some because I was like, oh, maybe this time, I feel like I haven't had my period in a while, but then my, my menstrual cycles, it was just awesome. So I'd get two periods a month and stuff like that. So I started to go to the hospital or to the OB getting tested. Every time it was like abnormal pap, abnormal pap, abnormal pap. And then finally they diagnosed me with PCOS because I don't fit the normal of what PCOS looks like. I'm not overweight. I don't have diabetes. I'm not, um, I don't have hair growing on my face and stuff like that. And so I was just going like, oh, okay. So I'm driving to, I went to Hawaii and with my family, he stayed back. And when I came back, it was maybe the second week. And I said, when was the last time I had my period? Cause I gave up on keeping track of it anymore. I was like, forget it. And he was like, I don't know. I was like, I'm going to take a pregnancy test. So I just took it, drove to work. I put it on my leg. I remember I was driving to work. I actually just recently started smoking cigarettes again. And so I looked down, I had a cigarette in my mouth. And I looked down and said, positive. And I flipped the cigarette. <laughs> so as soon as I looked down, positive. Oh my goodness the cigarette and I kept driving to work and I almost I'm a late reactor so it was like did this did that really happen so I found I get to work I go through I go through half my day one of my close friends from there me and her actually have the same birthday and um I'm like I need you to come downstairs because we have a clinic in our office I'm like I need to come downstairs with me I need to go to I need to go get a test and she was like what so it's like yeah she was like let's go now so i go down barbie the nurse she comes running out barbie the nurse i love barbie she's the super eccentric black lady always with like gold everywhere she's the best and she's like come in come in come in come in here yeah come in come in and i'm like hold on you muted yourself again there you go okay I'm like, how? I'm like, okay, so clearly she's like, look, and I'm like, it still like hasn't, like I was excited, I had like, oh, and then it would like, like, no, this is not really happening, I'm like, mm, it's not happening. I had first test with my sisters then, again, same day at my mom's house, I was like, I need you guys to meet me, I think I might be pregnant. What? So, went, <laughs> bought, bought, two, bought two other tests, did it again. That thing is positive, positive. Those lines keep getting more distinct. And I was like, 
okay. So I, I did a, I drew this huge poster board. I drew like sperms and I drew one big one and I put, ba- I put, I put babe, finally one made it and I, or something like that. And so I was trying to record it and I was like, Hey, I got to show you something. And I was like, I put it in the bathroom on the counter with the test on paper. And he, this, this is how non-observant he is. He walks in the bathroom and he's like, I thought you painted the walls or something. I thought it was like, he was, it was like looking for something that I could have done. I was like, no. So he comes out and then I'm like, did you see anything? He's like, no, was I, no, was there something else that I did? I missed something else. It looked really clean. I see you cleaned it. I'm like, no, no. I go in there and I'm behind him. He's like, so then he's starting to kind of look at me like, what are you doing? Like, why are you following me to the, why do you keep following me in here? Keep me out. And, and so I'm like, do you see it? Like, finally, he's like, what are we talking about here? And finally, I'm like, hello. And he kind of just happened to look at me. He's like, oh, oh, finally one made it. And first, he didn't get it. And finally, like, one, finally one made it. <laughs> <laughs> that's, what, that's whatever. I couldn't come up with anything. I was like, ah, look, you made it. You, you got a strong one. And it was like this band-aid because we both were kind of already settled but that mm. brought the hype back up right so that brought like a honeymoon stage back uh, and he always um which i didn't realize he said when we were maybe 2021 20, he's like i want to have a kid by 25 i want to have a kid at 25 i don't want to be an old parent now i kind of i see that as like he just wanted to have a kid it, it wasn't really important that the woman that he had it with um, he just wanted to be a dad. But he was with you for six years before the baby came, though. Right. Yeah. Did you ever ask him what was it like being with a woman who couldn't have kids? You know, that probably affected his mental as well. I asked him, and he was like, they just said it was hard. They didn't say you couldn't have kids. It's just, so I don't, he didn't want to. Right, his morale is probably down. You know, if he's been shooting for six years, you know, listening to that yes. thing, mafia tear the club up, and no clubs have been tore up. So I mean, <laughs> but he, okay, he had a little part to play in it though, because he had to take he had to take the shots. You're fine. They're they're gone, and he had to do the testosterone shots because his um, what is that? His uh. His um, he had a weak sperm. Yes, basically. He had low sperm count. Yes. So you got so, you got CVS and he got low sperm count. So it's just like man. Like CVS, PCOS, which needs to be talked about more because it's polycystic ovarian syndrome. My friend says polycystic ovarian is like uh her vagina. Her name is Shadi Diaz. She's a comic. She said her. Her vagina is like a club, and she has bouncers inside there protecting the, oh, <laughs> protecting the vagina from getting pregnant. Yeah, because it depends on which one you have. If you have, like, high testosterone one, which is the one that I have, which is the one that it makes you hard to have kids, and why usually, like they say, you get, like, facial hair or extra hair growing in places that you hadn't seen before, and... So even, and that was the thing. I was becoming more mentally aware of things and wanted to talk about it. And he was, he might've been becoming more mentally aware or coming to terms with stuff and didn't know how to express it himself. 
that's embarrassing for him. That's a, that's a thing, you know, it's just mm-hmm. like, man, I've, you know, so y'all had a good, good six years of just, you know, just straight old school three, six mafia. Yeah. Just, you know? Yeah. We was just living in 19, 1974 is what we were doing with, with 2020 technology. And so it, does he cry? Was he happy? Like he's having a daughter? Who does he tell? Like, when does he get he, it? Like, he was more, he was excited. He was very happy. And I remember his grandma telling me, really never shows emotion. She's like, this is the only time I've ever seen him like be emotional about something. And I was kind of on that same thing where I was like, that's what attracted me back in again. And I think that's what held us on for that little bit of extra time after her one year. And he told all his friends and I remember that ultrasound. So I wanted him to go to every appointment. You know, it's my first child. I didn't think I could have kids. Like, um, he he always made it like, like, why do I have to, like, what am I going to, like, what am I going to be there for? Like, I, I don't have any part in this. Like, this isn't, this isn't the fun part. So I would have, like, little dips of, like, all right, this is kind of why, maybe why God was trying to tell me to not have a baby, you know? And maybe I should have took that sign. So it was it was hard because I was so excited that I was pregnant. And I was, you know, like, I I didn't care if she was a boy or a girl. I called her Liam because I swore it was a boy because I didn't get sick. And girl was glowing. I was like, it's a boy. She ain't taking none of my beauty. This is a beautiful little boy going in here. What up, Liam? Was it an easy pregnancy? Was it an easy everything? Easy everything. Wow. I had never got sick. I never threw up. That's why I didn't know I was pregnant. I didn't even have that first like wake up nausea. I didn't, I could eat anything I wanted to. That's a lie that everybody's like, the bigger you get, the less you can eat. I ate. My doctor told me, oh, you're small. You could gain as much, you can gain weight. I don't have to worry about you. By the time six months came, he's like, I told you you could eat because you were small. But now I need you to chill because you get, I need, you're, you're almost at 60. You're, I, I gained 80 pounds in my pregnancy. Jesus Christ. I was so, I loved food. I just couldn't stop eating. Like I would be FaceTiming Kindle sometimes and she'd be like okay that's that that's stop like you're on you're on on meal four like we've been talking FaceTime for two hours and you're on meal four like enough is enough and I would be like oh I feel like it's just an empty hole down there but I remember the ultrasound that we found out she was a girl is the first doctor's appointment about the pregnancy that I cried at and he asked me, he goes, are you crying because it's a girl or like, are those like happy tears? And I was like, I don't know. And I don't know. I don't know. I said, I don't know. And I think it was in the back of my mind, I knew it was going to be hard raising her together because how different our beliefs are and our upbringings were. And because compared to mine, I mean, he's very good. If we were just, we were just call it what it is, like he's Florida boy, sunrise, boy, you know, yeah, you know, Twenty Seventh Street, like off the of U Block, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> some, sunshine, gunshine state, like very, like very hood, and um, I don't, I, I just was like, I don't know, and I don't know if it was like, and it's a girl, and I'm thinking about myself, right? So it's like. 
if it was a boy for some reason, I, I think it would have been easier in my head. That's how I was thinking because my, my nephew, he's, he handles not having, he's, he has his dad around, but his grandparent was very prominent in his life too, his grandfather. But I just thought in my head, like if I had a boy, it would emotionally, you know, be easier for me to deal with that than to deal with a girl. And especially with him. And he's very old school Italian when it comes to like how girls and boys should be raised. And I'm very much like, you can't be like that because I have a lot of friends that were sheltered and, or they were just like, the parents were like, you're in church. The only time you get to go out is if you go to youth, but like, that's it. Mission trips and that's it. Like you ain't doing nothing. And they go to college and they're buck wild. And they're, mm-hmm. you know, every, every Tom, Dick and Harry, Jared, John, Christopher is just, it's just that, you know, we, they're, they're going through a late host stage and you're supposed to, you know, you keep doing it. <laughs> it's a whole stage on another level which i you know everybody gotta have a little fun but it's just like well calm down you know it's gonna fall out you gotta give it a little time and i don't i don't want that for her i don't want that for her it's gonna fall out something she she's tired and i kind of just ignored that stuff and we kind of just enjoyed the pregnancy because like i said i had a really good time i went to disney at like seven months it was six months maybe i did disney for one day and halloween horror night all night pregnant feet first time my feet <laughs> swelled first time my feet swelled up i was like oh gosh that's what people meant with a little elephantitis over there it was this was ooh. It was creepy. Like, imagine me, the skinny little legs with these five ankles. So, it was good, but it wasn't what I wanted it to be because I was, I really wanted him to be at like every ultrasound and like every appointment and just like, I don't know, ask questions. I'm like, you're a first time parent, just like I am. Like, don't, you know, or signs that maybe you should look for if I'm. You know, for me, you think he was scared? You know, that's scared. And knowing that you have a daughter, that's probably even scarier, you know, knowing to protect this girl. Exactly. And I I think I took it personal the way that he like it because he's so macho when it comes to his feelings, right? Like his dad did hard to tell, like you don't give it it. And it's he was probably scared, but it's also I I took it personal, like why don't you wanna ask the doctors like you know about me or like do you care about me and like how my body can feel stress or if we argue or Mm. certain things not to do or certain signs to look for if I'm in distress or if I'm uncomfortable or things to do if something happens if I go into labor at home like all these things all these classes like I went by myself and so it was kind of like it started to set the tone a little bit like I am going to be doing a lot of this by myself which it was he was so happy with her when she came out he was very attentive that night that day that it happened so labor day I worked all day I was at the office and I was like hush sitting on a pinched nerve or something and this lady Keisha I love her old old Georgia Bale southern bail and she was like she she knew i was pregnant before i even told anybody and she looked at me 
I walked by her and she go, you gonna have that baby soon. And I was like, I got a whole month left, Keisha. She said, you about to have that baby soon. Nope. And that night I had that damn baby. And she came a month early and all, it's funny, all three, me, my sisters, we all gave birth a month early. And where did her name come from? Who, who named her? Amira. So I was looking at, I think it was Amira. And for some reason, we both wanted an A. And then his parents, his grandparents are Jewish. His mom is adopted. So for them, it was kind of like something we could give them because it is a Hebrew name. And, yes. And it, it, the meaning of her name is, I was what really got it for me. My mom picks all of her grandkids' middle names, so Minami, which is the kaji for South or Bright Light. And I, it, that kind of stuff he wasn't excited about. I think I enjoyed doing that kind of stuff more with my friends, but again, this could have been him being scared to talk about stuff and me. Like, our dynamic was very interesting because it's like we were together really long, that we were so comfortable with each other that it didn't, like, it, nothing really affected us, if that makes sense. So if he, like, had a, a reaction to something, I'd just, he'll get over it tomorrow mm -hmm. and vice versa. But when she came and he would show, like, we were so, every, everybody was like, oh my gosh, like, I've never seen Lily, like, so happy and so I look at him this one day and I think she's maybe a month and I go, do you feel any differently about me? Like watching me, you know, give birth or like having your child. And he was like, no, am I supposed to? And um, I remember this, like this tight feeling in my chest, like, like I was not expecting him to say like, no, especially that quick. It wasn't even a second. It wasn't, he didn't have to think about it. It's like, no, am I, am I supposed to? And I was just like, I don't, I mean, I don't know as a man. But I always hear like a lot of men say like, you know, watching that experience, like you see how strong a woman is. And he was just like, I mean, like, no, because you're made for that. Right. Like, yeah. So it. Were you his first serious girlfriend? And I guess technically, yes, because he was 18. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, you know, this is what, what, what history does he have? Right. That makes sense. You women develop yeah. a whole lot faster than men. And it seemed like you developed with your emotions because you went dating him. You gave no emotions at all. <laughs> and as you started adding emotions, it's like kind of weird for him to be like, oh, this is what we doing now? Like, like we talking? What? But it, it's funny because- How are we supposed to roll up? Burning? I thought we were rolling no, up right we now. Just, we, just, we just going to twist up and we burn, we burn it. We burning it down. We be right. burning. No concern. It. Like, we sticking to that. <laughs> we can, no concern. <laughs> wow, that's what Sean Paul meant. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yes. No <laughs> yeah, like, Rick, now it makes sense. He was having a kid. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he was becoming Sean an adult. Paul was having his first child. <laughs> he was becoming an adult. He, was a he wasn't. I thought you were getting coffee. Well, and, well how, how bad is that? Because you got to think about it. You know, he's learning because we're from that era where men, especially he's, he's, he's 30, right? He's 30. I'm 31. 
but we weren't really, it wasn't talked about for men to express their emotions. It was for men to keep everything inside. However you're feeling, it's just like you're, you're not a man. If you express yourself, show vulnerability and stuff like that. Yes. So it's just like those enlightenments happen in your thirties and he's not 30 yet. He, no, he's 32. Oh, wait, you're 18 and he was 18. And Oh, you're talking about back then. Yes. Come on back then. So he's, I think older he's older than He's two years older than me. Oh, so he met you when you were 18. He was 20. Mm -hmm. He's born in 80, 88. 88? Mm -hmm. Okay, so we have uh, Amira. What is her name? What is her name? Amira. 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 Excuse me, I said, I said a ghetto. I said like a Florida. I'm like, <laughs> I was going to say Amira. You sound like everybody I'm, else. I'm the deep south too. It comes out when I'm like, what's yeah. up, Amira? It's okay because my dad still, and I'd be like, dad, you're not even spelling it right. You smell, you spelling it like Amira. Amira. What does that mean? Oh my God. Bright light. And oh, your mom needing it this. Okay. And it also means um, like, it's queen, but it's really like a empress type. Yeah, it's in the Torah. Mm -hmm. Oh, you know. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, I was I was in Israel for like five months. I forgot. Yeah, I was going to say, you were everywhere. I was out there. Yeah, I was out there meeting the people. Do you think as your weight gain, do you feel different, 80 pounds heavier? Do you feel? I felt the, I, I never experience happiness like I did when I was pregnant mm. that was the happiest I had ever been I had no stress because I'm a overthinker naturally I didn't because I was like this is all gonna happen. I'm very good at taking care of somebody else so I took care of me because I had a her growing inside of me. so I ate when I was supposed to, not when I was supposed to eat but I, I started eating regularly and, and just really paying attention to my body more and what I couldn't control, I let go. Like I had no worries in the world because I was like, nothing is gonna hurt my baby. I'm gonna be the best me that I can be always because I, whatever I do is gonna affect her. Whatever who stress does, I feel is gonna affect her. Who does she resemble? Who does she take her characteristics from? A little, she's a good mix. She's a good, she's a good mix. She looks a lot like him, but, um, Amira is a old soul. She's been here before. And a lot of people say that. So I'm telling you, like, she is very um, aware of a lot of things. So when she, before she'd been turned one, if me and him got to an argument and she, not in another room, she would be, she would stand up in her crib, pull herself up ah! and just start screaming. Like, oh gosh, we have a competition, we have a competitor. She's like, shut up, like, it's enough. And she's an early talker. So by the time she was one, she was, you know, saying a lot. And she'd be like, no more, no more. Like if, so, and it got to a point where even if we had a happy conversation and our voices were raised, she would start to compete with the, that. Mm -hmm. she, so, so it was just like, anytime you raise your voice, it, she started to, Put that with this is a negative conversation or this is a bad moment so when i started realizing that she was getting affected by these these little things even though we we did do a, a decent job of not fighting in front of her or screaming in front of her but i remember starting to have these i would just scream 
I would just have moments of like, I would just outburst and scream. And the, Willie would always be like, you're like, you look crazy, what are you doing? And he would pick up the baby and kind of just like leave, I'll take the baby until you can get it together. And it was very just like, like I, I, that feeling of like, I'm alone again and I'm a burden. And now I'm gonna pass this burden to my kid. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that I, I had a hard, really, really hard time dealing with. And that's when that mom guilt started to kick in of like, am I gonna pass this to her? How your mom passed it to you? And you're just gonna be the same thing, but how are you gonna handle it? And what if I'm like this all forever? And I'm always gonna be like this, or if I revert back to cutting and then she sees it one day, or mm. um, there are so many, like there's so many things, or what if I can't get through talking to her about her becoming a woman like there's just so many things that I started to go through in my head and I was just like I can't do this anymore I can't do this anymore I can't I can't care about you because I got to a point where I was I was feeling like I don't want to be a mom because I don't feel like I'm worthy of being a mother and clearly I'm crazy because these are the people that are closest to me now I was getting sick a lot so it was like you know you can't get sick like I like I could control it so my sisters would say stuff like, you know, you can't get sick because now you have a kid. So and I'd, I'd, I'd kind of be like, well, I'd, yeah, I, I don't want to get sick. It's not like I have a choice and Willie's calling me crazy or, you know, my dad, he's very like, you know, we just got to make sacrifices. You know, you got to do what you got to do for your kid. And I'm like, yes, I don't know. Like, yeah, get the typical like dad advice, but nobody to, to say like, I didn't even know anything about postpartum mm. depression or anything like that, or if what it, what different signs of it looked like until I got. Why does it keep doing that? So you had postpartum pretty much. That's pretty much what happened. You mm-hmm. were dealing with postpartum depression the whole time, mm-hmm. and didn't and just didn't know. And so the whole time he's just like, "You're going, you're crazy, or you're going crazy, or um, do I need to take the baby out of the house or?" You know, like if you have people constantly just saying like, you know, you can't do this. And it's kind of like, it, it, it's me, it's my fault. And I'm going to, and I'm going to bring all these problems with my child. Like I can't, I'm not, I can't, I can't do that. This is impossible. And then I started to just think about, okay, when do you feel the most stress? I started asking myself these questions. When do you feel the most uncomfortable? When do you feel the most numb? because it was, that's what it was. I wasn't dealing with any of my feelings. So I was just in this numb stage, but so emotional at the same time that my body was reacting to it because I was just compressing, compressing. And I realized that I'd come home from work and I would sit outside and I wouldn't want to go in the house sometimes. And so I was like, yeah, like I, I have to do this for me to be mentally in a good space for her. I cannot be with her dad and that was like a really hard thing for me to accept and I knew that he wouldn't take it easy either obviously you're like duh y'all been together 10 years but it was like it's weird because we didn't really have a relationship I, I would come home he'd be playing his video games I would cook dinner and then he would go back into the man cave might smoke one together and then we go to bed. 
I FaceTime one of my friends or whatever. There was never any like quality time. We never, we never spent time together. So it was. You guys were co-parents. We were, yeah, we were co-parenting and I, but I don't think he, he's, he wasn't aware that I'm like, you weren't happy either. It's not, it wasn't just me. There was, there was nothing about me that was there you weren't one doing anything you enjoyed he's like this i this is fine enough for me like i like my video games and give y'all kisses good nights pretty much and i wanted more and i wanted somebody who was going to be more involved and it was just kind of like i sat one day and i was just like if i'm going to be a single mom i might as well be a single mom and how, how bad did he take that was it like yo what is you know he thought it was another man at at first and I said you know I'm gonna be honest with you I was like I don't get attention from you so I I do I have started like noticing that I flirt with people and before I I didn't Mm. like when we started having that conversation and I was like and he was like oh so it is another man I was like no I'm trying to have an open like I'm trying to be honest with you and say like I feel like I'm not getting attention so I have like now that you've brought it up like yeah you know what I do I think I'd I've been flirting like what would be considered flirting because for me if it's something that you can't do in front you wouldn't say or do in front of your significant other then that's crossing the line right. so I was like I don't I don't want to feel like that with you and he was just like okay so don't his answer was always okay so don't be with me and I was like like wow. you can't keep keep saying that and then me not believe you one day because he's and he won't talk and then he'll say oh well you know I talk a lot out of my emotions so we were kind of doing like the opposite thing so I would I started thinking before having these kind of conversations instead of having these outbursts because clearly that wasn't working for us and he was just coming into these these feelings because I started pooling and he would only he he did the same thing I did have angry outbursts and then he would slowly come down and and sometimes realize, but he never wanted to um, bring it back up or hash it out or smooth, like figure out the solution so it wouldn't happen again. Do you think when you left, he grew up and realized, do you think the man that he is after you left is the man that mm -hmm. you wanted? Mm All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was episode 96, part one, Letter to the Soul, Letters to the Soul, uh, by my friend Ellen Ravenel. And uh, we want to thank her, man, for, for doing this doing this podcast, man. She, uh, what, is, what started this, well, we've been friends for a while, but, you know, people lose contact. You know, we went to high school together, and we met in Tokyo back in the day, and it was like maybe we recorded this podcast maybe a couple months ago, a couple months ago when she turned 30. And it's like as she was leading up to 30, I noticed like all the self-growth posts and stuff like that. And then next you know it, uh, we hit her up, we contacted her, and she gave us an amazing life story. And she's she's a little platypus talking about, I can redo part two. I was like, no, nah, you can't redo your life story. It was amazing. So we want to thank her for this. Uh, part two will be coming out Tuesday. We'll be coming out this Tuesday. We'll be dropping part two this Tuesday of Letters of the Soul, episode 96. Uh, my name is Jared Waters. This is the podcast One Man, One Tree in a Hill. Have a wonderful day, good night, morning, wherever you are in the world. Peace and many blessings. Hey, you're live on the podcast One Man, One Tree in a Hill. Say what up to the people. 
This is when I see black excellence, man. It's Dave Chappelle, Michael Che, Lauren Michaels, Chris Rock, Eddie Murphy, all sitting at the table. I said, yo, Eddie, Mr. Murphy, I, said, I just want to say, man, you're the GOAT, man. And you're the coldest nigga that ever walked the face of the earth. You got to break that thing over. She wants it private, but y'all not even together right now. So we haven't spoken about anything but the cat for at two least months. two months. Said, uh uh, and I'm be the next Jamar Neighbors. Yeah. And then she was up like, I know that's right. <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to the podcast. My name is Jerry Waters, and I'll catch you next time. Like, subscribe, rate the podcast. Have a wonderful night, wonderful day, whatever you're listening to. I'll see you soon. <laughs>